welcome once again to another edition of Mets at the Movies, the podcast that talks about movies from celluloid to digital and everything in between. And I know this has been a long time since my last episode, so I want to thank everybody for your patience. I've just been working on some stuff in my uh, personal life, so I thought I'd take a little bit of a summer vacation from doing a podcast. But now that the summer is almost over, uh, it's time to get back into it. It's time to look at some uh, old classics, some new favorites, and basically go in depth into some of the movies that I've loved over the years and uh, revisit a few of them. And today's episode, I thought because it's such a warm night out, it's super hot, I'm sitting here sweating, it's crazy, I thought... What a better movie. There's no better movie to look at at this point, especially with what's going on in the world. We're talking about the 1967 In the Heat of the Night, starring Sidney Poitier and Rod Steering. Steering, I think. Yeah. Why did I always think it was Rod Sterling, even though that's the uh, Twilight Zone guy? But yes, this is probably one of the biggest movies, the most well-known movie, I think, uh, that people know of uh, Sidney Poitier. At least I do. Um, there's He's obviously done a ton of movies, so there, there's many out there that pro- more people probably know. But I've always wanted to go back and rewatch uh, in, in the Heat of the Night. I think I've, the first time I saw this was probably... Maybe three or four years ago, I thought that, you know, I've, I've known the scenes, I've known the actor, I've known some of the characters, but I've never actually sat down and watched it. So I thought one night I was going to sit down and watch it. And right off the bat, I was blown away with how well of a film this is and how well it was made, how good it looks, how amazing it sounds. Uh, there's a reason why it won the Oscar for Best Sound Editing. It was incredible. Just you felt like the city itself was a character all on its own even besides the actors and actresses you the city itself the nighttime the daytime it felt like this was a real place it almost felt like you were watching a documentary at times because it felt so real and it sounded so real now, in the heat of the night, if you haven't seen it, it's the story of Virgil Tibbs, uh, a man who seems to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, unfortunately. And we come, we first meet uh, this officer, his name is Officer Sam Wood. And uh, at this point, we don't know him. We don't know who he is. All we're doing is we're following, uh, we're following him on his route during one night uh, of a patrol. And he goes around the city, he's listening to music. He leaves a diner after spending some time there trying to get, get some food. And he unfortunately comes across a dead body in one of the alleys. And we come to find out that the dead body is of a gentleman by the name of Philip Colbert. And the reason why everybody's in a hubbub about, about this is one, because it's in the South and he's white, and two, because he was somebody who was coming into the city that was supposed to bring a thousand jobs. He was supposed to revitalize this city. He was bringing a factory into this city. And he was gonna he was gonna bring this town up. He was gonna rise. Everybody was excited because they were gonna be getting uh, a lot more people. They were gonna be getting a lot more business. The township was gonna, gonna thrive. Everybody was excited. But unfortunately, one night for him, they find his dead body. Now, during the evening when everybody's looking at the body, taking pictures, the pol- police chief, uh, Gillespie, uh, played by Rod Steering, comes up and asks Sam, you know, have you checked out the city yet? Have you gone to the, these places? And one of the places he mentions is the train yard, uh, train station. And he saw, and Sam decides, no, I haven't. So visits a pool hall first, see if it's closed, see if anybody's still there. It's closed. And goes to the train, sta- 
station. At first, he doesn't see anybody there. He, everything lo- looks fine. But as he leaves, he notices a gentleman sitting in the train sta- station all by, by himself. And it just so happens that it's a black man sitting in a train station when a murder just happened recently. So when you're in the Deep South, near Mississippi, you see a black man and a murder just happened right off the bat. Sam Wood thinks he's caught his man. He's caught the killer. Doesn't ask him any questions, doesn't interrogate him, doesn't do anything. Just pulls out his gun, put up your hands, put it against the wall, get in my car, we're going. And he drags him to the police station. Um, he actually dra- drags him very gingerly. I was I was surprised at that. That was probably the the part that I was a little surprised about. Where Sam actually asks Virgil to put himself in the car, and then when they get to the police station, Virgil opens the door for him, or Vir- Virgil opens the door for, for himself, and Sam's coming in behind him. So they're actually surprisingly like you're supposed to feel the the racism and the tension, and you c- certainly do. Um, but I think what I liked about this was. Um, it wasn't overt. It wasn't him hitting him over the back of the head with the gun, throwing it into the cab. Um, it was very tempered. It was very tempered racism. And I think that's what probably hit more about the scene and the interaction between him and Sam is because it wasn't so overtly um, negative, so overtly obvious. It was obviously a horrible time, and you could see the the anger and the confusion in Vir- Virgil's eyes. By the way, Sidney Poitier has some of the best eye acting I've ever seen in a movie in this. When you look at Virgil's eyes during this film, you see the emotion that most actors can't portray in their entire face it's incredible there's a reason that this is one of the reasons why uh, Sidney Poitier is one of the best actors of all time just look at his eyes during this film it's incredible um, but yeah it it wasn't overt it wasn't loud it wasn't it fit well with this movie of a small town calm town relaxed town everybody knows each other they're all friends the city council is made up of people of, lo- of local bi- businesses so you kind of you got that you understood that um, which I liked uh, about that scene. Now, when he shows up at the police sta- station, he presents him to the police chief, Gillespie. And right off the bat, he, G- Gillespie thinks, okay, maybe we've caught this guy. You know, why else would he be here? So he starts interrogating him. You know, why did you do it? You know, there's a lot of money in your wallet. Where did you get get this money? A black man like you in this area couldn't have had all this money. And he goes through his pockets and his jacket. And lo and behold, he finds a police badge. And this is where we find that Virgil Tibbs is actually a police officer with the Philadelphia Police Department. And right there, Gillespie realizes this 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 isn't the guy. This isn't the man. Something's wrong. We've screwed up. We need to fix this now, uh, right, right away. But he's not 100% sure yet. He knows that if this is true, it's going to be bad. But he decides to that he ends up calling the Philadelphia Police Department and verify. And this is when we also find out that Virgil is the Philadelphia's number one homicide detective. So not only is he police, but he's also a detective. And he's also a homicide detective in a city that just had a homicide that they have nobody, that they have no killer. Hence, wrong place, wrong time. Because he's just coming home from seeing his family. The last thing he probably wants is to be pulled into 
a case. He just wants to get home and deal with, deal with that. He doesn't even want, he doesn't even think that, that this area needs his help. He doesn't even want to give their, his help. But unfortunately, he's told that he has to. And um, he decides, you know what, I'm not going, going to. And he walks to the train station and he leaves. Um, but, oh, sorry, he doesn't go yet. He doesn't go to the train station yet. He's actually told by his, he's actually told by his police chief over the phone, while you're there, stay and help. That's what a police officer sh- should do. So the next scene is when we look at them in the morgue and he's investigating the body. And what I like about this scene as well, and, and it's something different than what, what, what you see a lot, especially in 67. You may have seen it a, f- uh, a bit then, but in 67, the d- director, when he's when Tibbs is examining the b- body, he zooms in on Sidney Poitier's hands and you see exactly what he's doing. You get cl- close-ups of what he's looking for in the hands, his neck, the face, the legs, the he- the a- ankles. And it's zoomed in so that way the focus isn't on the actors. The focus is on the act itself. And it makes it more believable. It makes it, it, it pulls us as the viewers into to the scene because now we're the ones who are also examining the corpse looking for signs hoping that we see so we see so something that, that that Virgil does as well and we can point point at it and when Ver, Virgil says to the doctor and the and Gillespie you know look at this I found this I found this you're pulled into this and you feel like you're part of that that as well because the camera was so zoomed in that you were looking for these signs as well and i thought that was a great way to pull us as viewers into into the scene um and it's great i think it was a it was a very powerful scene and sydney Poitier does a really good job of it um but over this over this time we end up finding you know we end up fi- fi- finding out that uh the other officers have a new a new sub new suspect um there's a drifter that well he's not a drifter he's he's from town he's from, from the town but he's had a bit of uh, problems with the police recently and we find, find find out why and it actually builds into the story a little bit more uh and it's a gentleman by the name of harvey now this was interesting the first high time i saw it because harvey is played by a gentleman by the name of scott wilson for a lot of people you'll know him as herschel from the walking dead and in fact based off of imdb this was his first role so right off the bat he was cast in an oscar nominated movie one hell of a way way to start so virgil gets so um herschel harvey sorry harvey gets taken in and these people think they have his man because they find uh philip colbert's wallet on on him and they think they have him you know He's a drifter. They've had problems with him in the past. Sorry, he's not a drifter. He's from town. I keep saying drifter. I don't know why. He's from town. He's from the town. But he's got the wallet in, in his po- pocket. They they think case closed. This is it. And they seem to do this a lot. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love the um, pol- police in this. Uh, and I think it were, they work well with Virgils because every time they find a guy, they think they have their guy. This is it. We're done. We're good. There's really no... Over, there's no extra detective work done by these guys because they're just local police. You know, they're not detectives. They're not scientists. They're not any of this stuff. They're just local police who just want to keep their town safe. Very uh, Mayberry-ish. 
you know, there's no no reason for detectives. There's no, you know, murders don't happen here. So it's very Mayberry. Um, and they play it up through the entire movie, which is great. So they bring him in and Virgil examines and realizes that, no, you, you've, you've got the wrong guy. Uh, based off of his arms, legs, like, I think you have the wrong, wrong guy. And I've got evidence here that I have to send off to the, the, the FBI to get it checked. But the police don't want that. Gillespie says, no, you're not going to send that. We're going to keep this in-house. Give it to me. And Virgil says, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And that's when tempers flare. Virgil gets thrown in jail with Harvey. Now, you, it seems like you're not sure if Virgil meant to do this or not, because while he's in there, him and Harvey stri- strike up a, f- a bit of a friendship, a bit of com- uh, commonality, because obviously they're in jail for wrong reasons. And we end up finding out that Virgil was right. Harvey didn't do it. He just happened to walk along, find a dead body, see a wallet, take the wallet and run. Um, something that a petty criminal would do, theft. And when the police finally realize it, they let Virgil go and they let Harvey go and they just char- charge him with theft. So this is where um, Virgil decides, you know what, I'm done. I'm done Done with this. You people don't seem to want my help. You're just going to do this on my own. And Virgil goes to the train sta- station, followed by Gillespie. And we get this fantastic scene where Gillespie, Gillespie basically begs, he doesn't beg, but he angrily begs uh, Virgil to stay because, yes, they're in a town that hates black people, even though you do see black people walking around randomly. That was the one thing I didn't like. When they were showing scenes of the town, there was just black people randomly walking around. Now, the black family that was um, taking care of cars you meet later on uh, small roles. Um, I thought that was okay because they looked like they were on the out. They were on the fringe of the city. They were in, but when they were walking around the town, you could see black people walking around. I thought if you really wanted to give this a southern 1960s feel, you just wouldn't have had them walking around. Anytime you would have seen a black person, it would have been either Virgil or it would have been the family on the outskirts. So that was a weird choice. I don't know if they meant to do that or or there was a purpose behind it, but I thought. Um, I would have just removed them all and made this town entirely white. Uh, I think it would have had a bit more of an impact. Um, but make an entirely white town, but not mention that it's an entirely white town. Make the viewer and the audience kind of think, wait a minute, the only black people we see is this one family on the outskirts. Nobody else is around. So make the audience realize that rather than arbitrarily coming out and saying, we don't like black people in our town. I thought that would have been a little bit more more powerful and a little bit more... Um, uneasy for people to see but you get a great scene between the two two of them where he basically begs him he goes listen i know we don't like each other but i need your help and we can't do this without you so finally gillespie convinces virgil because he basically comes out and says listen we're white white people we're white men we don't know how to do it you relish the thought and this is i love this i love this scene this convincing you relish the thought 
of knowing that we need your help. And the only reason you're going to stay is because you know that we can't get this done without you. And the, and your per, per personality is going to force you to stay simply because you want to prove us wrong. And I love that scene in this movie. Too many times you get these scenes where people try and convince by, we need your help. We're a small town. We know we're wrong, but we're, cha- we're, but we're willing to change. We're trying to be better. No, it's not that. It's not your standard movie. It's, listen... We don't want you. You don't want us. But we need you, and the and the chance to show up, white people. You're gonna love it, and that changes his mind, and that sets up a bit of a mindset where you think maybe, you know, it, it sets up a mindset of Virgil where you think um, he doesn't, you know, maybe he's got something, some ulterior motives as well. Maybe he's got a per- personality. Maybe he isn't as squeaky clean as as we think and that just starts the train and you realize later on a few few think things as well um so finally virgil decides you know what i'm, I'm gonna stay and he starts his investigation and he goes to phil colbert's car and he see he finds blood and he also finds a plant on the he also finds a plant on the um uh brake pad on the brake um and he realizes that this plant is potentially from a plant, a plantain, plant, or um, like a cotton field, uh, things like that. So he decides to go and visit um, Endicott. Now Endicott is the basically he's the one who uh, runs the county because he's the biggest employer. He's he's the richest per person in. But what, what what we soon find out is he owns a cotton farm that employs black people picking cotton so he's very stuck in his old ways and during 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 the 60s this is when things were starting to change a lot especially because the civil rights movement happened around uh, around that time martin luther king jr was killed like within months of this movie um so for virgil to go 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 through and see uh the old ways are still around it was a it was it was powerful for him he was nervous he was scared but he was angry at the same time and he started building hatred towards endicott now when they first meet endicott things look rosy they were talking about plants and they were talking about you know oh different type of orchards and it seems like they were getting along great until endicott decided enough is enough why are you here virgil explains and endicott says so you're here to investigate me you think i did this and as Virgil's t- talking, Endicott slaps him across the face. And that's when Virgil turns to him and slaps him. Now, this is probably one of the most powerful scenes in film history. If you're taking films, if, you, if, if you're taking film in school, if you're taking black history, and there's a part about, about film, this is one of the biggest things. This is one of the first times that an, African, an, an African-American, a black man, slaps a white man in the face not only any white man an owner of a plant of a plant plant plantain or um, not a plantain that's a root a plantation that's what i meant a a person who has basically slaves um he's got he's and 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 it was incredible and what was most incredible about this film and what and a lot of people were probably looking at the slap like oh my god did this just happen but when you look at endicott's face he's basically crying he's he's holding back tears and as they leave he start he starts crying which is a huge statement about um you know these people are only strong because they have power but without power and when that power is taken away from them they're nothing they're minuscule they're 
children. And this scene changed film history. Uh, and there was another scene similar to that that happened earlier on when they were in, when, when they first brought brought him in, and they decided, you know, who, you know, who are you? Or no, I'll come back back to it. But this scene was is is crazy. It was powerful. And from what was read, um, now from what, what I read, the slap wasn't in the book. This was based off of a book. Um, now that that slap wasn't in the book, but. Sidney Poitier decided, like, no, like, I can't let this, I wasn't raised to let, to be subservient. If I'm going to do this scene, if I'm going to fill this movie, this scene has to be in. I'm not going to let him slap me and get away, away with it. And he fought for it, and they said, okay, and they kept, and they kept it in. But the be- but what I also love is the reaction of Gil- Gillespie, because Endicott says, Gillespie, you saw him. He, slat, he he assaulted me. What are you going to do? And Gillespie stands there and says, I have no idea. Which is, which is, I think, the best, one of the perfect lines of that scene. The police chief basically saying, I have no idea what I'm going, I'm going to do. And then he decides, we need to get out of here. And he gets out. And they're at the car. And Gillespie says, like, what are you doing? And Virgil's like, just give me, just give me two more days. I can get this guy. I know it's him. I know that it's this guy. And that, that's when Gillespie turns to him and says, oh... So you're kind of like us. And then you realize that Virgil's got a little bit of racism in him as well towards white people. And that's when the bonding between the two of them really starts to build because you think, okay, Virgil's not this squeaky clean Philadelphia boy we thought he was. And I think that and and that makes him more of an empathetic character because he has hatred in his heart as well. It's not like he's just putting up with this. He's 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 blinded by his hatred at times and looking for the wrong pe- looking for the wrong people. Um so finally after this things just get worse for Virgil. Uh I mean there's gangs of people trying to hunt him down when he's trying to investigate and this is when Gillespie has to basically protect him. He turns into his bodyguard essentially during all of this because people are now just trying to kill him for what for what for what he did. You know, in in the South, you don't slap a black you don't slap a white man, especially if you're black. You just don't. And it, a lot of tension is happening, and they're both scared. They're both worried, but they need to find out who this killer was. They can't finish. They can't leave without it. So one night they decide to follow Sam Wood. So Virgil says, "Hey Sam, he's the other officer." He decides, "Hey, let's let's take the route you did the the other. I'm going to follow you on on your route." And Gillespie's like, "I I can't let this happen. Why are you doing this?" And then finally he 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 says, "Okay, let's do it." And they follow follow along. And during this scene, he makes a detour, which we know because we saw him t- take his route at the very beginning. But we also, but Virgil also realizes that he took a detour, detour, detour as well, and is not going in the right direct direction. So this is when Gillespie decides, um, you know, something's something's up, something isn't right. So well, so Gillespie starts investigating Sam, and we realize that very close to when. The day after um, Philip was killed, six hundred dollars were put into Sam's bank. There was a deposit of six hundred dollars. So this is when Gillespie starts starts thinking. No, it's it's got to be Sam. There's you know there was money missing. Where did he get this money from? 
he took a detour on his turn. So again, Gillespie's thinking, we have our man. Lock him up. We're done. But Virgil, knowing that earlier on, there was a scene where the woman that Sam Wood kind of creeps at the start and her older brother barge in and he threatens the police um, because... They think because he thinks that Sam impregnated his 16 year old daughter or 16 year old sister. And, and because, because of this, they start rethinking wait a minute, so how could this happen if Sam was driving at this time, but during. So there's more confusion ha- happening. And Virgil decides to investigate of who in the area is, um, who does abortions. And we and he find, finds out, and he find, finds out who does the abor- abortions. Goes to meet her, and the sixteen-year-old girl shows up that that night, just what, as he thought, for an abortion, for a hundred dollars. Now he's one. Now the reason why he's tipped off is because he's wondering how could she afford this? How could she afford the the money? And this is when we find out that it was actually the person at the diner. Uh, his name, name is Ralph, who has two scenes. We found out that he's the one who ends up killing. He's the one who ended up killing Philip because he was just walking along, offered a ride from, was off, offered a ride from Philip, uh, and realized how much money he had, killed him, stole his money. He didn't mean to kill him, stole his money, and was going to use the, the money for, to pay for the abor- abortion that he was going to pin on Sam. And at this point, we finally fi- figured out Virgil is absolved of all issues. There's a really nice scene of him and Gillespie at, at the train sta- station. Basically, like, yes, they they both understand that that they've had some demons, but this is the start of thing things to build. Um, and it's it's a little under two hours. It flies by. Um, as I said, one of the best parts about this film is the atmosphere of the film. Uh, the southern sound, the crickets at night, the quietness of different things. It's a beautifully shot, shot film. It looks gorgeous as well. In fact, this film was the first film to use a, a type of lighting technique that helped distinguish um, black actors features because for decades and gen- for decades prior prior to that there w- there was a single type type of lighting unit but the pro- problem was because of the type because of the pigment uh, of black skin it would it would not show features um it, so it wasn't very flattering to black actors and actresses so they used a lower light which helped um bring out the fe- features so it was a lighting technique that this was the first movie that that started it that has been used now for decades since and you can really see it and the the acting in this as i said was incredible when you look at virgil's eyes throughout the movie you can see the hatred the pain the tiredness in his eyes you can see it grow for a lot of people, for a lot of movies, they rely on makeup. They rely on, you know, ways to show, you know, like physical attributes to show you these things. But what I like about this is you don't need any of that. You just look at the eyes. The eyes are the windows of the soul. That's what people say. That's what the quote is. And in this movie, you can really see it. You can really see the, the ha- hatred. And one of the scenes where you can really see it the most is the scene that I mentioned 
earlier very briefly that I didn't get into, and it's one of the most famous. It's uh, one of the most famous lines in movie history. Um, just before when they're arguing about giving the evidence over to, to the FBI or the police ho- holding it, um, Gillespie yell, yells at him and says, "You know." He dropped. He drops the N word and says, "You know what kind of N word do they call someone like you in Philadelphia?" And the camera pans to him, and they say, "They call me Mister Tibbs. They call me Mister Tibbs." And that line is is what a lot of people know about this movie. First, it's actually the number sixteen on um, it's on the list of AFI's hundred greatest movie quotes of all time. It's actually number six, it's actually number sixteen on it because I've heard I heard that that line prior to this um, movie so I knew the line prior to this I also knew of the slap prior to this because it's so heavy and this movie just paints a picture um, of real of real I think this it, it paints a picture of what real racism racism was at that time there was racism but it wasn't as um, you you could see it growing. You could see it building a bit. Now, obviously, racism is still around now. But what's great about this movie is you can see it kind of turning. You can see the sparks of things turning towards a better time, and you can see it. And it was really well done. It was really well shot. It was really well acted. You believed it. As I said, you believed that there was a do- documentary. That this was a documentary. But obviously, it wasn't. It wasn't all peach, peaches, or roses and peaches, or peaches and cream. Not peaches and cream. Rose, whatever you know the saying. Um, because it was actually supposed to be filmed in Mississippi, but they had to change it to Spartan, Illinois, in the north, because the last time that Sidney Poitier was in the south, he was with. It was him and Harry Belafonte, um, and. In, and they actually were almost killed by the KKK, so there. So he, so Sydney didn't even want to do this movie because uh, he was so scared. He was so nervous of doing this film that he slept with a gun at times. That's what I heard when I read online. So he slept with a gun. He had. He was nervous. He, he wasn't even going to do it until they finally decided. Okay, we'll shoot. We'll shoot it in Illinois. It'll feel a little bit safer. It's still Sparta, but it's Sparta, Illinois now instead of Sparta. Mississippi, Mississippi, um, and this movie has obviously had a huge impact on the film industry. It is part of the National Registry in the states and the U.S. Um, and the only select films that are culturally appropriate and have huge, big meaning and significance are put into the National Registry. Um, some of the greatest films of all time are in there, um, and. This was such a huge film at the time that it was nominated for seven Oscars and it won five, uh, including Best Picture. Uh, Best Picture, Best Sound, Best Screenwriting, um, Best Lead Actor for Rod Rod Steering. And you can believe that. Like, like Sidney Poitier's eyes were great in this, but the transformation and the ups and the downs and where he had to go, Rod was easily the better actor in this film. Um... But they were both powerful. They were both great at, at this. And you can't have. I don't think this would. Uh, this film wouldn't have worked if you didn't have the two of them going all out. Because this this is very much a, a different version of a buddy cop film. 
um, with more stakes, more meaning, more seriousness behind it. Um, but it was very much a buddy cop to detective film. Um, and the two of them worked so well together that, th- again, this film just wouldn't have worked without either of them bringing their best. So it's a great film. If you get the chance, watch this film. Um, sit down with other people if you can. Um, I think nowadays with everything going on, I think this film is more more relevant than it has been for decades, for years. Um, I think it gives you a very good sense about where things were versus where they are now. Um, and even if you're a film fan, I think you need to give this a chance. I think you need to sit down, you need to watch it, you need to understand it, you need to experience it. Um, and don't during and don't watch it during during the day. I find that if you watch it at night, um, because of how powerful to see how how beautiful it looks at night in this film, I feel like you get a better sense of it this you get a better you get a better sense of the emotion of the tension of the feeling of the atmosphere um open a window as well so you can hear i had windows i had windows open and the noise of the crickets outside um and the sound of the wind outside while i was watching this weirdly enough helped enhance the film um which I thought was kind of kind kind of neat and cool, um, but yes, if, definitely if you get get the chance, in the heat of the night is one of those mo- movies that um, you should see, uh, especially if you're a fil- fil- film fan. I think you need to see this. I think it's on the list uh, of must sees. Actually, I think it's on the list of like the 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 one thousand films you need to see before you die. I think this is on this. Um, but yes, give it a chance. Uh, so I want to thank everybody uh, for tuning in. Uh, I'm glad to be back. I'm going to try and do this every week again, obviously, if my schedule can permit it. Uh, if you have any suggestions of films you want me to watch and talk about, I would be happy to film. I'm going to start uh, tweeting a lot more at Mets at the Movies, uh, movies that I've recently seen, uh, movies that I'm looking forward to, upcoming ideas for podcasts. And if you have ideas, please let, let me know. And again, I will see you at the next screening. <laughs>